One of the things that I uh, absolutely love about God <clears throat> is He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I was sharing with the team at our 9 o'clock pre-service uh, prayer and worship that because of that, actually let me just get the, the, the right words so that I, I say it right. So Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, every day our lives are changing. Even sometimes those changes happen moment by moment. And we can have an incredibly crazy day where things just keep coming from the left and the right and the front and the back. But this verse makes us understand that we are known, and we are loved, and we are cared for by a faithful and a consistent God. He's the same. He doesn't change. Our changing circumstances don't worry him. They don't frighten him. What he asks us to do is, as Amber has just said, to choose him. To choose him over those situations, but actually to choose him in those situations. You know, we may have uh, celebrated Pentecost Sunday last week. <clears throat> and Julian's message was so good that I listened to it twice. Thank you, Julian. <clears throat> but I want to tell you something today. Just because we celebrated Pentecost Sunday last week, Pentecost is not over. It is not over. The day of Pentecost was definitely an event, and we can, even, we can actually even class it as, a, as an historical event, because we can put a date to it. However, the Holy Spirit himself is not a historical event. He is not some anthropological finding. He's not some museum timepiece. He's not something that we get and we tuck away in a safety deposit box. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is at work across the world today. And what's more, He, the Holy Spirit, is God on earth today. Here we go. Nothing like a bit of technology to back up a statement. Well, I suppose that was better than a badumps. <laughs> Who just helped me that? I want to give them to chocolate. No, I won't embarrass you. <laughs> I'm going to have that in the back of my head all morning now. You know, the Holy Spirit moved powerfully upon the, on, upon the people on the day of Pentecost. And we know that. We read that and we look at it intentionally at least once a year. But the thing is that that is not some timepiece for us to go back and visit just to go, oh, and polish it up. Actually, that event is there for us to go back and read and to be encouraged for now. Because the Holy Spirit still moves now. The Holy Spirit's been moving this morning. You know, there were 120 people in that upper room. When the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit came, that 120 turned into 3,120 after Peter spoke. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 41. 3,000 people got saved. But guess what? It didn't stop there. Those 3,120 people went out and they fulfilled the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and 3,120 became 5,000 plus. And I put a plus on the end because when you read the scriptures, it said 5,000 men 
Now, I'm sorry, girls. Don't shoot me now. I'm just the messenger. But back then, the men were the only ones that were counted, okay? (laughs) So I want to propose to you this morning that not just 5,000 people got saved. I want to propose to you that chances are the church went from 3,120 to somewhere around 10,000 plus. You want, let me just frame that for you a little bit locally and bring it now. If every church in the, in the Blenheim Christian Ministers Association, so think of all the Christian churches that you're aware of in Blenheim. I can, I can give you 13 off the top of my head. If every one of those churches had 1,000 people in their Sunday morning services, 13,000 people, still half of Blenheim would be unsaved. Job's not done. But see, even then, even then when there were 5,000 plus, let's just be faithful, 15,000 people in the church, because let's include the kids, because kids can get saved. There was another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They got together, they prayed, and they worshipped, and they ministered, and the building shook. And the Holy Spirit was poured out again. But guess what? But wait, there's more. No steak knives. However, there is a promise. There is a magnificent promise in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. The promise is this. The promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God, and to those far away has got nothing to do with geography. To those far away is a timeline phrase. To those far away, when that promise was given, that was for us now. This heaven baptism is not a historical event, but an ongoing availability of the Holy Spirit. you to get that this morning you know what I kind of I make no apologies about how I'm going to behave this morning I just want to put that out right now (laughs) I'm pretty worked up about this I kind of wonder if I'm supposed to preach on the Holy Spirit for the rest of the year I've just bought a book that's got 365 daily devotions on the Holy Spirit watch out (laughs) (laughs) So what was happening? Why did this happen? We're going we're gonna to take, take a small pause and we're going to look back to establish a good foundation to answer that question. There is, a, there is an old Māori proverb that says, to know where you're going, look where you've been. Now last week, Julian led us on a journey through the scriptures where he taught about the Holy Spirit and fire. He zeroed in on the fact that the Holy Spirit came as fire. And right throughout scriptures, he took you from place to place to place where the fire of the presence of God was. Those, and, but you know what? The descriptions describe the Holy Spirit as being poured out as wind and as fire. And he has prophesied as coming as rain. I have no idea what that's going to look like, but I'm excited. So today we're going to go even deeper than that. And we're going to look into the beautiful gift from God from yet again a fourth aspect and this morning if you're taking notes this message is called the holy spirit the breath of god 
So let's pray before we go anywhere else. Spirit of the living God, we come before you. Breath of God, we lean into you, breathe you in, and breathe you out. Would you come and breathe on this message? Would you come and breathe on this meeting? Would you take the scriptures that I bring and hopefully teach well and add the very power of heaven so they're not just words, but they are revelation. So it's not just logos, the written word, but it is rhema, the awakened word. I need your help this morning, Holy Spirit. Come, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, after each stage of creation, when God saw and he finished and he saw his handiwork, he declared, he pronounced it as good. But then God decided this, a profound statement. He goes, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, Genesis 1.26. But you see, that's, an, that's a bit of an odd thing to say. How can a visible human being express the likeness of God, who is an invisible spirit? Here's a thought. Let's look at our children, our growing children, how they absorb, they develop, and they display the character traits of their parents. Or how about a student with his professor? Or, let's get scriptural, how about a disciple taking on the yoke of his rabbi? You see, in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and light. See, the rabbi's teaching, the rabbi's theology was called his yoke. And so when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he, wasn't, he, he was using a figurative picture of what the farmers knew, which was you yoke the cattle and they walk together and they are powerful together. But the other Hebrew side of that was, I want you to be yoked with me in my teaching because my teaching is life, my teaching is hope, my teaching is purpose. So if you will be yoked with me, you can then take on my character. You can take on my traits. You can take on my learning. You can take on my compassion, my mercy, my love, my gentleness. You see, it's God's breath working through us that makes him visible. And there's that word again, breath. How can God's breath working through us make God visible? So glad you asked. Come with me as I explain. Now, the name of God, as revealed in the Old Testament, comes from the four Hebrew characters Y-H-W-H, yod Hey vav Hey, which we translate or transliterate as close as we can in English to the name Yahweh. But here's the thing, to say the name Yahweh correctly, we don't just say it like we do where it's all expelled. The name Yahweh is actually breathing. It is Yahweh. The first half is the inhale, the second half is the exhale. Yahweh. The name of God is breath itself. God's name is literally life to our being. So now we know that, can we then understand why God said, never take my name in vain? Because we would be, we would be using... I won't finish that sentence. Can you see how we could really hurt the heart of God? with how we use our breath? But wait, there's more. 
In the Hebrew language, there is yet another layer. See, God's name being breath itself, we need to understand that we're not just talking, simply referring to the air that's coming in and out of our lungs. In the Hebrew language, breath is also translated as character. God's breath is what makes God, God. Your character is what makes you, you. So when God breathed into Adam, not only was he breathing life, physical life into him, but he was breathing his character into him. He breathed what makes God, God into Adam. So when we read Genesis 2 verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. If we remember what the scriptures say when God said, let us make man in our image. So let's reread that verse, but let's add the deeper meaning. Let's edit it a little bit. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed his life and his character into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. And herein brings a deeper understanding. If you read through the scriptures, there are so many, there are numerous times throughout the scriptures when Idols, the idols that the nations used to worship are described as having eyes that cannot see, having ears that cannot hear, having a mouth that cannot breathe, having hands that cannot serve. And guess what? Adam was exactly the same until God breathed into him. He was just this really groovy, glorious looking piece of mud with all the right shapes and all the ripples and all the right places. And then God breathed into him. And guess what? He was able to breathe. He was able to be, to live, to see, to hear, to smell, to taste, to serve. One of the, one of the most exciting verses that I've ever read in the Bible is where it talks about how God brought all his creation, his animals, to Adam, unnamed, so that Adam could name them. So don't blame God for the armadillo. It was Adam that named him the armadillo. Armadillo. Say that 10 times and see if it doesn't warm up your vocal cords. You know, I think God was having a great day, but he was using spare parts when he made a giraffe and a platypus. But anyway, <laughs> either that or he just had a big target and a paint pellet gun, paintball gun, when he saw the giraffe. That's why he's got random spots. But anyway, I digress. I digress. You know what? There are three significant breaths of God in the Bible. The first breath is the one I've just described. It was the breath given in holiness and in power that shaped Adam in God's image, in God's character, and he came alive. This was the breath of life. The second breath is now, and we move into the New Testament, the second breath shaped humanity, and this breath came from the lungs of Yeshua, the God who saves. Who is that? Jesus, on the cross when he was crucified. In Luke 23, verse 46, it says, Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust, what? Not my body, not my mind, but I entrust my spirit 
into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Now, I want you to think about this. When Jesus breathed out his last breath as a man, he, who is a representative of God's perfect created humanity, filled with God's character and his breath, in complete and total worship, Jesus gave the breath back to God. God breathed his life and character into the first Adam from the garden. The Bible teaches that Jesus is a representative of the second Adam. And so the second Adam gave that very breath of character and life back to God. This was the breath of hope. Life came through God. Hope comes from Jesus. Now, the third breath, God's next move, is like, it's like Titanic. Because, you see, God breathed into one man. One man gave the breath back to God. And then the third breath, God sent the holy breath to all of humanity. All of humanity by giving us the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go into a little bit of Hebrew. Ruach HaKodesh is the Hebrew name of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Ruach is breath, HaKodesh, the Holy One. God gave us all the breath of the Holy One. The Holy Spirit. Ruach HaKodesh. There is another term that comes with the Holy Spirit, and it is Lashon. Hakodesh. And what that means is the language of the Holy One or the Holy Language. Oh my word. What are one of the what are one of the things, what are the one of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Speaking in tongues. Now that's a whole nother teaching, and I'm I'm kind of thinking I need to do that again. I did one, did it years ago. But when you begin to speak in the utterance of the Holy Spirit using the very breath of God that what God has given you, you begin to speak a holy language that you may not fully understand, but guess what? God does. You are filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the breath of the Holy One, and you begin to speak Lashon HaKodesh. You begin to speak with a holy language. Why? Because you are filled with a holy breath. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. This was the breath of purpose. There is life, hope, and purpose in the breath of God. What are we supposed to do? Bring the breath of God to our world. It's a magnificent mystery that God has chosen to convey his character through millions of ordinary people like us. And I use the word us on purpose. Why? Because we bear his image. We bear his character and we do so collectively as a body. And this is because any one of us taken individually would present an incomplete image. What do I base that on? I base that on because there is only one human, well, there were two, two human beings that walked the earth that bared his complete image. One was Adam until sin came into the world. The second one was Jesus 
And Jesus was able to do it in the midst of darkness and sin. Why? Because not only was he fully man, he was fully God. And so he could represent the fullness of God. We cannot. But, oh sorry, let me rephrase that. We cannot individually. But we can collectively. And you know, that's one of the things that I love about the fact that we've got on-site and online. So wherever you're joining us from this morning, God bless you. This is real and relevant for you too. Because while we represent Jesus here, you represent Jesus there. And we do so collectively across the face of the world. Now, God made this glorious baptism in the Holy Spirit available to all believers. So I suggest that those who make up our Christian churches, just want to throw this out here. If you're a believer this morning, then we ought to be leading spirit-filled lives, fruitful, powerful, and fulfilled. The truth is, and I want you to get this, the truth is God never established his church apart from the Holy Spirit. I kind of feel a little cheeky when we have the, the, um, the big combined services and we have every other church represented and, and they come here and I go, welcome home. You do realize that you're all Pentecostal churches, right? <laughs> the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. We should be filled with the Spirit. We should be led by the Spirit. We should be taught by the Spirit. We should be reminded, convicted, shaped, formed, encouraged, empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit is the breath of and the bonding agent in which God holds us, His church, together. Oh my word, I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm so stirred up by this. And I'm stirred up by this because the understanding of the Holy Spirit held by the average Christian today is quite, it's actually quite shallow. And I say this carefully, and I want to say this with love, and that's why I'm digging into it like I am this morning and why Julian dug into it last week. Sometimes it's so vague that it's virtually non-existent in people's lives. The very fact that the Holy Spirit is God on earth and we profess today and we profess to be Christians and yet we don't know. When mentioned imaginations of some nebulous ectoplasmic wisp of ethereal smoke is pictured in people's minds. I, I've been doing a lot of reading and praying into this recently, as you can probably guess. And I came across a challenging writing by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer was, he was a, an American Christian who became a pastor, an author, a prolific author, a magazine editor, and a spiritual mentor. Lived from 1897 to 1963, and this is what he said. How shall we think of the Spirit? The Bible and Christian theology agree to teach that he is a person, endowed with every quality of personality such as emotion, intellect, and will. He knows, he wills, he loves, he feels affection, antipathy, and compassion. He thinks, sees, hears, and speaks, and performs any act of which personality is capable. One quality belonging to the Holy Spirit of great interest and importance to every seeking heart is penetrability. He can penetrate mind. 
He can penetrate another spirit, such as a human spirit. He can achieve complete and actual intermingling with the human spirit. He can invade the human heart and make room for himself without expelling anything essentially human. The integrity of the human personality remains unimpaired. Only moral evil is forced to withdraw. Oh, I love that. You know, one of my common prayers is this. God, I want you to fill this place so much that there's no room for anything else but you. You know, if you're, if, if you're a scientist, <laughs> think, or, 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 or a water technology expert, think water displacement principle. You fill a glass up and it displaces the air. You fill a glass up until it overflows and everything within that glass except for the water is displaced. That's how our lives should be with the Holy Spirit. So only moral evil is forced to withdraw. So then, that was how A.W. Tozer described the Spirit. How then should we think of the Spirit? The Bible teaches that He is God. Whoops, what just happened there? There we go. Suddenly went blank and I was like, ah, I don't know all my notes off by heart. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. There are three verses that I won't have up on the screen, but for those taking notes, John 6.33, Romans 8.11, and 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. These three verses speak about the attributes of God, but directly connect them to the Holy Spirit. Equal and every quality belonging to Almighty God Himself is freely attributed to Him. The Spirit of God is one with and equal to God, just as the Spirit of man is one with and equal to man. The historical church in the 5th century, the writers of the Apostles' Creed, penned into that confession their belief in the Godhood of the Holy Spirit, witnessing to, in faith that they witness in faith to the Father, and in that we believe in the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Ghost. There's no difference between the three. The Bible describes this as a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In 381 AD, the church leaders composed another creed called the Nicene Creed, and they testified of their faith in the deity of the Holy Spirit in that. And here is an excerpt. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I believe that God is calling us again to a new and a higher purpose, that to be fully belonging to a spiritual body. What do I mean by that? The community, what the New Testament calls the body of Christ, or we refer to as the church, it differs from every other human group. As joining this body requires an identity transfer. Equivalent to a complete and a brand new infusion of supernatural DNA. Now, that all might sound kind of very sci-fi, Star Trek, Star Wars, all kind of glued into one sort of mind-blowing ridiculousness to the unbeliever. But Jesus described this process to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, one of the most respected scholars and teachers of the law in Jesus' day. But he heard what Jesus taught, and he went, there's something to this. I need to know more. 
a little bit like how Julian described last week where Moses saw the tree that was burning but not being consumed and then suddenly that non-consumed burning tree began to talk to him. That was the presence of God coming through the fire. It's almost like Nicodemus saw something of that in Jesus and said, I shall turn aside and find out a bit more of this. And Jesus says to Nicodemus that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born again or born from above. And of course, you know, to a a man who studied the law, and there are parameters and things. He's like, how can an old man like me re-enter my mother and be born again? Physiologically impossible. Apart from the fact that he was an old man, so his mum was probably dead. Jesus' answer in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says this. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, is that human birth, and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to a spiritual life. So therein, when you hear Christians talk about being born again, therein is the explanation. This spiritual identity, this spiritual rebirth, links every member of Christ's body with a powerful bond that goes beyond race, culture, vocation, age, gender, economy, geography. I have personally felt that bond, that connection, when I have literally met complete strangers, but complete strangers who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I have met them in India, Papua New Guinea, England, Ireland, Scotland. I feel that every time we have another believer from another nation who comes in here from South Africa, Indonesia, the Philippines, Thailand, America, Brazil, Zimbabwe, England, China, Australia. And if I've missed you, I'm sorry. (laughs) There's a lot of you. (laughs) But why do we feel that bond? Why do we feel that connection when we just literally have only just met? Why? Because we share a loyalty We share a connection with the king of heaven and earth. We become brothers and sisters. We become whanau in Christ. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Paul, who was a faithful Pharisee, who was the destroyer of the church until he met he who birthed the church. (laughs) Can you just think about that? You know, I mean, I want you to picture this. You have got this monumental seven-tier wedding cake standing in front of you, and all you want to do is destroy that cake. I mean, we're going to obliterate this thing. We're going to throw it around the room. We're going to stomp all through the cream, and then suddenly you hear a voice behind you, and it's the person that made the cake. That's kind of what happened to Paul, Saul. Blinding light knocked him off his horse, knocked him flat. And then he met, he met Jesus personally, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he wrote to the Galatian church in chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. The breath of God, the ruach of flesh. The significance of these human categories melt away when held against our new identity in Christ through the Holy Spirit. However, we don't lose those human categories. These things that make us humanly different, that indicate our differences, they don't melt away. 
they just don't hold us separated in Christ anymore. So, having given you the introduction. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to bring us back. I've just looked at the time. Yes, it's okay, Amber, I'm watching. <laughs> it was already turned red, so I've got less than four minutes. We come back to the question, why? Why did this happen? Christian, believer, have you ever stopped to ponder and wonder what the church today would look like if we didn't have, if we hadn't had Pentecost? For a start, the church wouldn't exist. We would just have global religious organizations like the tabernacle. Chances are sacrifices would have still been happening. I don't know. But without the Holy Spirit, let's just bring it into, uh, let's just use the book of Corinthians and Acts. Without the Holy Spirit, we would have had the Gospels, but no Acts, no book of Acts. Without the Holy Spirit, we would have had 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, uh, chapter 1 through 11. So the first 11 chapters of the 1 Corinthians, which in those 11 chapters describe the religious differences and the sin issues of the day. We would have had that with spades, but we wouldn't have had 1 Corinthians chapter 12 which talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that there's equal value across all of us through the Holy Spirit, words of encouragement and comfort from God. We would have had the priesthood, but not of all believers. You see, the scriptures teach us that we are all priests to God when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The priest, And that's one of the core, core tenets within the statement of faith of the Elam Church. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. You know what we would have had if we didn't have Pentecost, we would have had problems of the world, but not the power of God to overcome them. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Greek word for that word power is dunamis. The same word, the same root word that we get dynamite from. Oh, come on, every man in the house should be going, oh, I want to blow something up. I read a joke one day. A guy decided he wanted to remove a tree stump from his farm. And so he got dynamite and he thought, that's a big stump. So he put lots around, all around the tree stump. And he rolled the fuse away and he lit it. And it didn't just remove the tree stump from the ground. It blew it right out of the ground. And it flew across the paddock and it landed in the back of his ute, crushing his ute. And he looked at his mate, and he goes, I didn't get that very good. And he goes, no, mate, you landed in the ute. That was perfect. <laughs> Dynamite, dunamis, you shall receive power. <laughs> Maybe I need another coffee. Maybe not. I don't know. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Guess what? The ends of the earth is Christchurch. Geographically, it doesn't matter what direction you go from Christchurch, you are getting closer to Jerusalem. Woohoo! Come on. We're the ends of the earth. That means right there. We're talked about right there. Power. Only Pentecostal people expect what happened in the book of Acts to be normal. Guess what? The word normal is not in the Bible. But this is, we expect the believer to be anointed with gifts given by the Holy Spirit. 
We expect miraculous healings. Do I hold an altar call right now? <laughs> we expect spirit-led evangelism. Think Paul and the Ethiopian in the book of Acts. We invite people. Oh, healing DNA. We expect people serving and seeing great miracles like Stephen. We welcome people as family. We expect people changing their plans and their mindsets based on visions, dreams like Peter had in Acts chapter 10. What does that mean? We're relevant and current. We expect that we will see, we as Jesus' witnesses, we will see lives saved, healed, and delivered. We expect breakthrough. And in each place where spiritful men and women went, the church grew. You know what? If you want to change the world, you don't put a fire under someone. You put a fire in them. The church with the Holy Spirit fire burning inside them, praying, believing, witnessing, giving, serving, inviting, welcoming, has always been the game changer. Guess what? A Holy Spirit church is the hope of the world. I've only got six pages to go. But the, no, I haven't. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit fire in me and you and us, guess what? It can actually burn low. And it's not enough for just one of us to burn. It needs us all to burn together. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul to his apprentice, this is why I reminded you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power. There's that word again, love and self-discipline. That gift, that Holy Spirit and the ability that He empowers you with, it's got to be burning. If it's only glowing, then fan it into flame. And guess what? This only happens when we seek God and surrender to His will and we allow the Holy Spirit to move. D.L. Moody, another one of, uh, another, you know, A.W. Tozer, D.L. Moody, Charles Finney, these guys were all referred to as generals of the faith. D.L. Moody is one of them, a great preacher, a great evangelist, but then he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. And this is what he said. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. He realized that whilst he was carrying the truth and teaching the truth and preaching the truth, it was the very power, it was the very breath, the Ruach Hakodesh, the Holy Spirit that took what he was teaching and changed people's lives and hearts. And he did not want to go back to where he was before. Fan into flame, worship team, please. Fan into flame is intentional. I used to love, I was always the first and the last to be around the campfire at scout camps. I would love to blow on the embers. My dad, my dad used to, when I was lighting a fire uh, when I was a kid, my dad was a hard teacher. You get one match, son. I had to get that fire going with one match. You know what? That was so many years ago, but when I get up in the morning and I open up the wood box, if there's one little ember, I won't use a match. I won't, I'll get the right stuff and I'll blow and I'll coax and I'll poke sticks at it and I'll go, come on, you ember. Come on, you ember, you can do it. Come on, you ember. No, you ember. <laughs> come on, you ember. Dynamite power. You know, and, and poke a stick at it. 
Breathe on it. Get the Holy Spirit. If you're comfortable, I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit pokes a stick at you. <laughs> Why? Why does God want us to be operating in his breath? 2 Peter 3, 9. And I close with this. God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you. Holding back the end. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change.